All right. Well, tonight we're just kind of taking a mini-series. We're at least in this two weeks. I don't know about three, but we're at least in this to, to two weeks. The problem that we're looking to, uh, to accomplish here is that since most Christians do sin, most Christians, I mean, perfection is possible. The Bible would not tell us to be perfect if it was not possible. It is even if you become perfect from the day that you are saved until the day that you die, you still need a Savior because you still have sin and you're still born in sin and all that stuff is still there. So saying that we can live perfect lives does not mean we can be like God. God did not sin and we already did. So that's not the, not the same thing. But it is possible for a Christian to get to a spot where there is no sin in their life. That is possible. I know that because the Bible says so. <laughs> but since most Christians do sin, we do fall into sin, and some with more greater regularity than others. When does sin disqualify us from ministry? Or from ministry and the gift that we receive from God? We've all received a gift from God. We're not just talking about pastors, evangelists, and stuff like that. We're talking about people that have a gift from God, which is all believers. When are we stopped from operating in that gift? Because of the sin that's in our life. And the Bible will give us clear indication on this and what to do. And some of the examples we gave you. You know, Aaron, he uh, built an idol. And still continued on as, as the high priest. Uh, David committed adultery and for many months continued on as king. Then you got a guy like Nebuchadnezzar who's kind of on the fence with God. Sometimes he's all on with God and sometimes he's all about himself. But for a while he was all about himself and he went mad. And he actually lost his position. He stopped being king for a while. And he wandered the, the field, the grass fields as a madman. Then when he came to his senses, repented before God, he was put back into that place as king. And he declared the greatness of God. A Babylonian king. Nebuchadnezzar is back and forth. He uh, sometimes, when he was with God, he's all for God. But sometimes he was in other directions too. Judas, of course, is a great example too because Judas uh, was the keeper of the treasury. Now, when Judas took over being treasurer, he did not immediately begin to steal from the treasury. I'm sure that probably, I don't know exactly what happened. I'm just supposing. But you can probably figure it up that uh, he doesn't have a job now. They all gave up their jobs. And maybe he gets a letter from home. Messenger comes. Hey, we got this financial need. They're going to take the house. And he decides, well, you know, I've been doing this. I should probably, I'll just take a loan. And he just takes a little bit and no one discovers it. And everything seems to be okay. And pretty soon one loan leads to another loan. And until pretty soon he feels entitled to taking money out of the, out of the till and does it on a regular basis. And still he's operating in that position. And we have to know that Jesus probably knew about it. The rest of the disciples probably did not until later. But Jesus probably knew about it and still left them in that position. Peter fell into sin because he became a hypocrite. He was doing one thing in front of the Gentiles, another thing in front of the Jews. And Paul called him on it publicly. But he continued on as the apostle during, before, and after. He didn't, he didn't stop. Now, Paul ran into some guys. When they messed up, they're out. 
Now, a lot of times they messed up in areas of false doctrine, leading people astray, things of, of that nature. Uh, but uh, one of the places we saw in the scripture, he actually wrote to him, uh, you need to need to get rid of this thing here. <laughs> and he's pretty strong on it. And we know that he got some direction from God on on these things. So where does this uh, where does this go? So we're, there's different ki- kinds of sin. Now, you've all heard me say this before, and I'm sure other people have said this as well. But um, I do not agree with that uh, uh, regular Christian doctrine that comes around that all sin is sin. That is false. That is not true. Neither are all sinners sinners. <coughs> Neither is all hell hell. There are, great, there are areas of hell that are meant for greater punishment than others. There are people who will go to hell, the lake of fire, who will have a greater punishment than others. Because their sin was greater. Not all sin is sin. How many of y'all know demons sin constantly? But some got locked up. And others did not. Now why did some get locked up? Because their sin was greater. Paul even talks about that uh, the, the um, punishment for some would be greater. Greater for teachers who fall into false teaching. Greater for those who would lead others astray. Jesus said, woe to those who harm the children and lead the children astray. Not all sin is equal. There are some sins that are greater than others. So we're going to look at a couple of different types of sin. The first one here is personal sins. Uh, this is just sin that just involves you. Some sins only involve you. They don't involve anybody else. It's just you sinning. And when we get into this, it's the, the maturity of the believer comes into play. If you've got someone who is a brand new believer, and, you know, after a couple of months, because one of the greatest ways that believers grow is to put them in service with God. It's one of the greatest ways that they grow. We, we can't have this philosophy that says, well, you've got to be a Christian for five years, six years, ten years, whatever it is, before you can be used by God. That would be wrong. There are all kinds of things that people can do in the service for God. And those areas of service help mature them. And we can, we can put them into those kind of positions. But the maturity of the believer comes into play in these, these issues. Just like if you have a two or three-year-old and they're acting immature, if they're acting um, selfish, well, you don't deal with them the same way you would if they were ten. And some of the actions that they would do as three are tolerated, whereas if they were 10, they wouldn't be. And if they were 15, well, we would raise the bar a little bit more. And certainly God does that with us. Well, we should certainly do that with other, other Christians. They're a new Christian. Don't expect them to, to live up to the same type of sanctification that you have as a 10-year-old Christian, 15, 20, whatever it might be. The maturity of the believer will come into play in, in the sin issue. <clears throat> when God is dealing with a sinning believer, it's between God and them. Now, I love this philosophy. I absolutely love this because I do not feel the need to get involved between God and the believer unless God tells me to. And even then, I say, God, are you sure? <laughs> I, I really don't need to poke my nose in places. I don't care what it is. that uh, you, you're, They're your kid. You deal with them. But if God gives me an assignment and says, go over there and help that person out, go over there and direct it, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. But I don't, generally, I don't generally do that. I don't like other people's business. 
I just don't like it. Now, some folks, not people here, I'm just talking about people in general, probably people that you work with, love other people's business. They love other people's business more than their own. They sit around, they talk about gossip, and they just can't get enough gossip, and they watch the TV shows that do nothing but gossip about other things. And, and uh, you know some of those, um, uh, I mean, there's gossip stations for women, there's gossip stations for men. We have them all, in, all over. When I would get my hair cut, they decided in, in there, you know, it's a, it's a sports place. It's, it's designed for guys. So they put ESPN and, um, I don't know, sports something or other, some kind of, some kind of I don't know. But the, the, I don't know these, sta- I don't listen to these stations. I can't stand them. I'm in there. I have to tolerate them because I have them on. I've even told them, I said, how do you guys listen to the soap opera all day long? Because all they do is they talk about all the off-the-court stuff that all these guys are involved with. I don't care what they're doing off the court. That's between them and their mama and their God. That's, that's a, I do not care what happens in there. I, if you want to show me some highlights, great. I'll take a look at the highlights. But most of the time they're not. They're in there gossiping about what this person did and what we think this person did over here. And what. And I don't, I don't need to know about all that sort of stuff. Don't busy yourself in other people's affairs. Word of God calls them busybodies. We don't need to do it. If God involves you in their affairs, then get involved. But otherwise, stay out of it. Because they may be in sin, but you may get pulled into another sin trying to get involved with them in their sin. So stay out of that thing. Let God take care of it. If God says, hey, I need you to go over here and help this brother or sister out, then you go ahead and do it. I do it, but I do it reluctantly. Because I don't ever want to love it. I don't ever want to like it. I want to go kicking and screaming just about every time. But when, a, when God deals with a believer, you generally don't know how they're responding to God. They may be responding positively to God. They may not. We may stand on the outside and look and observe, but we don't know. We don't know how they're responding. Now, some of these sins might be sins that you had before you became a new believer. Some of them might be sins that you picked up afterwards but they usually don't involve anyone else. So that's the personal sins. Generally, these are not the ones that cause us problems with people being in ministry, but sometimes they do. But they just involve you. And then we have some public sins. These may involve just you, but they also may involve other people. That's when it gets to be a problem. More of a problem is when our sin involves other people. Because there are some sins I cannot commit by myself. I need help. And so that's where these, uh, these ones come in. And so if, you, if a sin involves another person, it is hard to keep that sin under wraps. It has been done. It has been done. Tiger Woods was apparently involved in a lot of uh, extramarital affairs that no one knew about, except for, apparently for the media. They knew about it for years and didn't report. Can you imagine that? As much as they like to report this stuff, they apparently knew about all his extramarital affairs for years and did not report it until it came out. Then they all reported it and let us know that they've known about it for years. That just surprises me that they, uh, they wouldn't do that for some reason. They decided not to, to let him, him uh, fall down. Now, David, of course, his, uh, his sin involved Bathsheba. That involved two people. Involved actually more than two people because a king cannot go anywhere and other people not know it. It's kind of like the president. President does everyone, someone somewhere knows where the president is at all times. 
More than one person. And there's SS people that are all around. They have to guard the president. Wherever he is, they have to guard him. So, for the president to go anywhere, it's known. It is known. And for David to go somewhere, it's known. But he, we find out in the, in the Bible account of this is that he sent people to her. So that involved all those people who went and sent for her, brought her into to David. So we got a lot of people involved now. You can't keep that under wraps for too long. It, it, it will begin to, to leak out. And of course it, it did. And then of course he got other people involved when he decided to go into become a murderer. Mm-hmm. After that, that involved other people. And that compromised him with some of his leaders. But he still continued to go on. He still continued to be king. Now, Peter, when he was rebuked, he responded positively. And he, he pretty much said, all right, Paul, you're right on this one. I, I'm acting wrong. And, and he fixed it. Now, Saul did a similar thing, and he did not respond positively. He responded in such a way as to blame other people. Well, you didn't come. When you were delayed and the people did this and the Philistines did this. And then the second time, well, when the people saw all the good stuff, they decided to keep some of it. Bring it back for, for a sacrifice to God. Now, remember some time ago we went over the four steps of correction. The first step is when God is just dealing with you personally. Second step is when someone is sent to you to uh, bring that correction uh, along. And uh, usually it's a private, private matter. But then if we don't respond to those two levels of correction, then comes a rebuke. That's usually done more publicly. That's usually more harsh. And if we fail to respond to that one, then we start to see subtraction. And things are taken away. For Saul, his, um, his uh, throne was taken away. And the fact that his sons would sit on the, on the throne, that was taken away. For Jeroboam, pretty much the same thing. That, 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 was, uh, that was taken away. His response was not what it what it should have been. <clears throat> Solomon, we saw he lost some things too because of the idolatry that he fell into. And he, he did not re- respond to the prophets and the things that were being said. Now, if correction reaches step three and I hit a rebuke and I do not respond positively, that will put me into a place of Rebellion. And God does not respond well to rebellion. There's a lot of sins he tolerates. Rebellion is not one. He has been known to open up the earth and swallow people. He has been known to send fire down from heaven and burn them all up. He has been known to do some very harsh things to people who fell into rebellion. And um, he deals with it very strongly. God does not like rebellion. We see some of the things that he talks about rebellion in the Word of God. He quotes it to things that we, we see. Oh, wow, that's a really bad sin. And God says, it's just like that for me. So the, the sin of rebellion, I put in your outline, has fast-tracked many believers to step four, subtraction. Many times, this is subtraction of everything. They're gone. Not always, but many times it has been done. But rebellion will put us on a fast-track for subtraction. And that would include ministry. That would include things that we are, are doing. So rebellion, you don't see a whole lot of patience from God. If we fall into a place where we're in rebellion, and it's not just rebellion to God. Aaron and Miriam came into rebellion against Moses. 
and there were some serious repercussions for them. They still held on to their positions and they're still able to go. But Aaron keeps racking these things up. And we've talked about it before. When Aaron lost that position, when he was ready to die, God took the, that position off of him, that robe off of him, and when he did, the guy died. That was all that was keeping him alive was that position, that, that uh, covering of being in the high priest's office. As soon as that was gone, he was dead because the judgment of God was, was ready to come down upon him for all these things. He did some... He did some things he wasn't supposed to have done, shouldn't have moved into. In 1 John, that's the public sins. And uh, now, now before we get into, well, no, we'll get into this in just a bit. 1 John 3, verse 4. I'm going to read it to you in the New King James first. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his sin remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, how many of you folks here are able to sin? Or you're not born of God then, huh? It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. <clears throat> For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked, one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Now, to help you understand this just a little bit better, I want to read this out of the Weist. Weist translation puts it this way. No one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning because the God-given life principle continues to live in him. And so he cannot practice sinning because he is born of God. This is the way to distinguish God's children from the devil's children. No one who, falls, who fails to do right is God's child, and no one who fails to love his brother. It is so because the message that you have heard from the beginning is this. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and butchered his brother. And why did he butcher him? Because his own actions were wicked and his brother's upright. Some things will translate this as habitual sin. Weiss puts it as practice sin and here is the kicker here is the big thing it is not that a christian cannot move into sin it is that a christian cannot move into a place of practicing sin of habitually sinning so how do we define habitual sin most times we would define habitual sin as someone who does the same sin over and over and that would be false that's a wrong definition of sin and I'll prove that to you from the Word of God. Don't just accept it. But just because you sin over and over does not mean that you are habitually sinning, that you are practicing sin. So we've got to get into the Word of God and take a look at what this, what this means. Because though we have this, here's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. How many of you would consider seven times a habitual sin? If somebody betrayed you seven times, would you consider that a habitual sin? Mm -hmm. 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. All right, if you didn't think seven times was an habitual sin, how many of you would think that 490 times would be a habitual sin? That's, that's pretty habitual. And, and that, that's going up. Habitual sins are not sins that you commit all the time. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't teach that. Because he'd be going against what, what John told us in his epistle. And John's epistle does not go against what Jesus taught us. Now, a person who is sinning 490 times, are they practicing sin? By most of us, we're thinking, yeah, that's pretty much practicing sin. I'd say so. I'd say we're, we're going, going to town with that. But apparently, that is not true. So what is it that breaks us over into the pattern of habitual sin, of practicing sin, if doing the same sin over and over is not it? Because if what Peter is talking about here is a habitual practicing sin, John has said, you're of your father the devil. Why would God say you have to forgive him? Why would Jesus say you have to forgive him? Now, who did Jesus run into who was of their father the devil? Pharisees. Yeah, let's take a look at some of the attitudes we have with that. John the Baptist, he, reads, he sees them coming on out to get baptized. He says, who warned you guys? I sure didn't. Who warned you guys to come on over here? We don't want you here. We, we want you to have the punishment that's coming your way. It's basically what he's saying. He doesn't like that at all. What is Jesus teaching parables? I don't want you guys to find out the truth. Jesus said, you're making your followers twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. He said, you are your father, the devil. That's what he said about the Pharisees, Sadducees, and these guys. So it would seem to me that what he is seeing them do is habitual practicing sin. But yet he's teaching Peter, just because somebody does something over and over again doesn't mean they're in a habit of it. <laughs> hmm. All right. So what constitutes a habit? What makes it seem like that this is going to be a, a habit here? So the, I put this in your outline. The difference between 1 John and Matthew is our attitude in sinning. It's the attitude. The first, the first one over here in 1 John, I'm sorry, the first sins and sins again. That's, uh, that's John. They sin and they sin again 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 and they sin again. Sounds pretty habitual, right? All right, the second doesn't. The second does not sin and then sin and then sin and then sin. The second one sins and repents. Then sins and repents. Then sins and repents because Jesus said, how many times, or the question was, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And Jesus says, to forgive him up to 70 times 7. He's talking about the forgiveness. We focused on the sin. You see, the habitual sin lacks the repentance. And that's what makes them of their father, the devil. What Jesus is talking about, this is sin that is followed by repentance. So if Jesus is telling us 
to forgive somebody seven times, 70 times 7, what would he be doing as God? So you as a believer can sin, fall into sin and repent. God, I'm sorry, I fell into that sin again. Please forgive me. What will God do? He will forgive you. Now, we've pretty much have, I've heard people, I've taught it, other people have taught it, that 70 times 7 is not giving you a number of 490. It's basically saying, as long as he comes to you and asks for forgiveness, forgive him. How many times will Jesus forgive us of a sin if we come in repentance? He will keep doing it, right? So when the devil puts you in condemnation saying you keep doing that sin, you keep doing that sin, you keep doing that sin, you keep doing that sin. How can God love you? How can you say you love God? How can you be a Christian? You say, because I keep repenting. <laughs> I keep repenting. That's the difference. The difference between a Christian and a sinner is a Christian keeps repenting. So as long as you keep coming back and repenting, God's cool. Now, He wants you to get over it because that sin has a price tag to it. And he doesn't want you to have to pay it. He's already paid the price tag. He doesn't want you to have to pay another one. But if we keep sinning, we're going to harvest the result of that sin and He'd rather us not now do that. That's not something that's coming from him. That's something that comes from the sin that we're getting ourselves involved with. And he said, yeah, I'd rather you not do that. But as far as God is concerned, he will keep forgiving you. And so that's the difference between habitual sin and keep, keep on sinning is that one involves repentance and one does not. So that's our clue here on, on this part. The first sin and sins again. The second sins and repents. 1 John speaks of a lifestyle of sinning. We have adopted a lifestyle of sinning. This is what I do. Now think of it this way. <clears throat> we'll go back to the diet because most people can understand diet, whether you're trying to diet to gain weight, diet to uh, lose weight, whatever it is, diet for health. Whatever. Everybody's has gotten involved in some kind of a diet somewhere doing something. And when you have a particular diet and it says these foods are good, these foods are bad and so you get yourself over here in the good food side and you're eating whatever it is that it says is good but then here comes that wrong food it's against your diet but i haven't had that for a couple of weeks now and oh man i mean i really like that food i mean there's nothing in the bible that says i can't eat that food it's just this silly diet and so what we want to do is I want to embrace that food, whether it be pizza, whether it be dessert, ice cream, brownies, cookies, whatever it might be. We want to go out there and we take that thing and then we become guilty. I shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, and every bad thing that happens from that point on is the fault of that food. We get on the scale the next day gain two pounds it's because i had that cookie there is no cookie in the world that can cause you to gain two pounds none not a single one they do not do it but we're sure that's what it is because guilt has come upon us because you see my habit is in this area and i've strayed outside of my habit and i i feel bad now how many of you have been on a diet before and have said forget that diet i'm going over here and you go over here and you begin to eat foods that were not on that list. And after a while, you don't even feel guilty about it. Right. I haven't been on that diet in years. 
You don't even think about it. You don't even think about that food being bad. You don't think about the evilness of that particular food. You just say, oh, pizza. Mm. McDonald's. Mm. You know, whatever it might be. We just go out there and we get it. And we do not even think of it. Why? Because I changed my lifestyle. And my lifestyle now is not one where I'm trying to avoid that food. My lifestyle is now that I don't care. I'm going to pick up whatever I got. First John is speaking of a lifestyle of sinning. It's not speaking of continuing to sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. Now, this would be particularly true of some sins we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we've all seen that list before. And people have, have gone on out and they have said people that are involved in a homosexual lifestyle will not go to heaven. Right? Yeah. Well, what if the person involved in a homosexual lifestyle dips their, 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 life, their life into a homosexual and then repents and then falls into it again and then repents and then falls into it again and then repents and then falls into it again and then repents? Is that the same thing? It would apparently not be, would it? Not according to the other things that are being taught in the Word of God. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. Now, what's a fornicator? Sex outside of marriage. Now, you can be single and have sex outside of marriage and feel bad about it. Father God, that's not my lifestyle. That's not what I'm trying to do. And repent. And God forgive. Right? That can go on. And then fall into it again. And then God forgive. And then fall into it again. You can be an idolater. Now we're not talking about going to the local uh, idolatrous place and you know bowing down. And there's other things that can be become idols in our life. Adulterers, people that have fallen into maybe when they first fall into it, they feel guilty. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I can't believe I did that. My wife, my husband betrayed them. They repent. But then after a while, they begin to fall into the lifestyle. And then they begin to hide the things that, are, that they're doing. And then they become comfortable with it. They begin to explain it to themselves. This is why I'm doing it. Homosexuals, sodomites, thieves. We're not just talking about somebody who goes out and steals. Oh, I shouldn't have stolen that. Oh, I can't believe I stole it. And they ask God forgiveness to go back to the person they stole. They ask them forgiveness. They, re, they make... Uh, repentance for that and give that back and, and now of course the word of God says if you commit adultery how are you going to pay back that's actually something the word of God how are you going to give back what you took can't do it but a thief can and I actually told in the word of God that if you steal pay up to seven times over that that's what a, what a thief would do but there are people who have adopted a lifestyle of a thief and this is what they do they do not feel remorse for stealing anymore. They feel that it's due them, that it's a perfectly acceptable lifestyle because of what has they've been handed, because of what's going on, whatever it might be. Covetous, 
We may fall into, and we may covet something of our neighbor. Oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I, I, that's not in the Word of God. I shouldn't be doing it. But after a while, there are some people, this is all they do. They just covet whatever everybody has. I should have that. I want that. I want that. And I want this. And it's a lifestyle for them. There's no repentance in the between. Drunkards. We're not talking about somebody who goes out and gets a drink and gets drunk. We're talking about a drunkard, one who is drunk more than they're not. Who goes out and drinks to the point of being drunk continually. Someone who gets drunk and then feels bad about it, repents before God, it's not the, that's not a drunkard. A drunkard is one who just, this is the state I'm in. This is what I'm going to do. Revilers, extortioners, so forth. These are the same kind of things. You can do these sins and it be a one-time thing and then repent. It may be a, a thing that you do on a, on a somewhat continual basis, but in between, you repent. The Spirit of God is working on you and saying, don't do that. That's going to hurt you. I know it's going to hurt me. Why did I give in to that? And you repent and you go on. But you see, sometimes people fall into these lifestyles and this is normal. This is what they do. Verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so we must be careful about about some of these things. Now, the word you look at some of these things, the Word of God does not say, I cannot go out and have a drink. It does say, I cannot go out and get drunk. That's what it'll, what it'll do. But, you know, if, if, if I as a parent, now you all know I don't drink. I don't drink for a lot of reasons. One, I don't think I should as a, as a minister. Uh, but two, I hate it. Makes it real easy to not fall into that. I can't stand the smell of it. I don't... There's nothing about it I like. Beer? Oh, cannot stand the, the very, very spot. I told you the story when I was working in a restaurant in, in Tulsa. They didn't, in the restaurant, they served near beer. Half the alcohol content of regular beer. Called it, they called it near beer. I don't know what the difference is between that and other stuff, but I know when I would have to serve it, step in for the waitresses and get over there and serve the stuff, hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it. But you, you notoriously get it on your hands. I could not work until I washed my hands. Had to wash it off. Had to be, I mean, soap, water, dried it all off, the whole thing. It had to be gone. I cannot have that on my hand and smell it. It just drives me crazy. You get into places and all you smell is beer, I have to leave. I can't stand the smell of it. Do you like the smell of beer? I'm not telling you that you can't be a Christian and like the smell of beer. I'm saying I don't. I've been to, you know, places and they want you all to have a toast with wine. I did try it. Tried to hold my nose and... Oh, man, that was the most disgusting. And people drink this because they like... I'm just not one of them. My wife likes wine. She enjoys it. I can't stand it. If she drinks it, please don't breathe on me. It's... Oh, I tell you, I just... It's the... I guess it's the alcohol content, whatever it is. I can't stand anything that has alcohol in it. I don't care to break myself of that either. Why in the world would I want to learn to, to like something that could be a, a detriment and certainly if somebody is out in the restaurant and they saw me taking a drink it would have a greater impact on them than if some other christian was out there taking a taking a drink and certainly we won't don't want to have that going on i heard a story i think keith moore was just telling it one of his recent recent things that there was a uh, a person who uh, saw the minister their minister in a restaurant having a drink and they were an alcoholic 
and they felt released to go out there and get a drink, and they got drunk that night, made some bad decisions, and those bad decisions in that one night caused him to lose all his money, his marriage, his family. In one night, he lost all those things because he got drunk and made some bad decisions. Now, of course, it was his decision to, to go out there and do all that, but um, he was helped along by his minister going out there and, and drinking. So I don't do it. I don't do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to stay out of that one. I don't, need to, to, I don't need to like it. You know, it's the same thing. I have the same philosophy with video games. If I play them, I may like them. Right? I mean, I may. I don't know. I may like them. If I like them, what am I going to do? I'm going to play them. I don't want to play them. <clears throat> so the best way not to play them or on a regular basis is not to like them. So right now, I don't like them. So I don't play them. <laughs> if you play video games, that's fine. That's 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 just just where I'm I'm coming from on that that sort of thing. If there's something out there that's going to eat up your time, now, you know I have, I have things to eat up my time. You know I go out and run. That takes some time. It takes some, you know it takes me an hour hour and a half to do the run. It takes me thirty minutes to get ready for the run. It takes me uh, thirty minutes to recover from the run. You know it's two two and a half hours out of the out of the day. But when I'm out there, you know, I'm listening to good stuff, and uh, that's helping me out there too. But you know, we got we all have some things that eat up our time, and I think that's a beneficial one. Not everybody does. <laughs> but here's the thing: when we get into these sins, most of these sins eventually lead to a decision that this is okay. And that's where we cross the line. We are no longer sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. We are in full sin mode. And the Spirit of God cannot speak to us about that. We don't hear it. You get into an adulterous relationship and maybe you're feeling guilty at first, but after a while, that's turned off. And our conscience becomes seared. It's the same thing with people who become murderers. On a regular basis, their conscience has become seared. Getting drunk, fornication, and these kind of things, our consciousness can become seared. This is when we see these uh, these lifestyle changes to people, and you know, uh, people that have fallen into a homosexual lifestyle. We're not talking about sin, repent, sin, repent. We're talking about two people who now want to get married, live in the same place, and continue that lifestyle before God. You see, that's wrong because now I have entered into a habitual situation. I have entered into a place where I am practicing that sin. This is the problem comes in too when uh, Christian people decide to live together who are not married. This is the problem that can come in for them because what we have done is we have taken the thing, maybe we were involved in fornication before, but now I have put myself in a position where I am saying not only is this lifestyle okay, I'm okay with it and God's okay with it. And I've seared my conscience from, from being able to do this. Now, this was years ago. I'm sure this was handled here in this church in a, in a way that I don't think anybody outside of two, peop, two or three people even knew three people. I knew three people who knew about it then uh, because we were all involved in this. But we had someone who was involved in an aspect of ministry here. I think is at least... Uh, two, it might be two decades ago 
That's how long ago it was. Involved in an aspect of ministry. And they were dating somebody at the time. They moved in together. They didn't announce it to anybody. But it became known that this was, this was going on. And they had moved into each other with each other. I became aware of it. I pulled the man aside. I didn't pull the woman aside. I pulled the man aside. And I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, this is what happened. And they fell into this because of some things that happened in her home. That her home became a place where she couldn't stay anymore. And, and so it just seemed to be the logical thing to do. I said, this is not right. I said, if you have this problem, let us know. We'll find a place for her inside the church. And she can stay there. And um, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to go. He keep on going on with this. And so they, they were living together. I says, look, either you change this situation or I have to take you out of the position you're in. I hadn't taken him out yet. I understand he's living with this, this woman. I hadn't pulled him out of ministry yet. He was still involved. and wasn't teaching people. wasn't just doing in, a, in the service type of ministry. I said, either, either you fix this or not. And I said, and I'm not just telling you to do this because of this, of this ministry situation. I am telling you to do this because even if you marry this girl, even if you do that, from here on out, you will have this hanging over your head that you as the man, as the leader in that home, led her and led both of you into a place that you knew was against God. And if you marry her, you can never fix it. You'll never be able to fix it. That will always be something that you will have. God will forgive you for it. And you know, you can go on from that, but you will know you'll never fix it. I said, if you want to get married, JP or something like that, that's fine. If that's what you, your direction you want to go, but move, away, move out from each other until that happens. They decided not to. And they decided to continue to go on in the direction they were. So I pulled him off his ministry. That's the last we saw of him. Because once you, once you get into a place of subtraction, I, I've told you this before. As a church, we hit those things. Correction, correction, rebuke, subtraction. Once you hit that spot of subtraction, you generally lose them. Because there's too many options anymore. Well, all right, this church won't take me. This church down here will. You know, too many options on it anymore. And so the, they did. They, I think they went on to another church. Uh, they, they did eventually get married. And they did eventually get divorced. It's, um, it could have been different. It could have been better for him. And thank God, I, I don't know about her, but I know that he's still serving God. And uh, he's not totally opposed to me and the things I did. He, uh, uh, I've had some communication with him. And I understand where he's, where he's at right now. And he's uh, married to somebody else and they're serving God and, and doing things. But it could have been avoided. But you see, if you put yourself in that position, now you are going to practice. You are going to do habitually be in a place where that lifestyle is now accepted. Same thing with thievery. You can get to a place where I don't need to have a job. I just go out and take stuff. And we justify it. Well, they shouldn't have all that stuff. They have too much stuff. They have too much wealth. I don't have any. I should go out there and, and get that. It's wrong. It's the wrong thinking. Became covetous of what other people have. And that's not a direction that, that we need to go put this in your outline for you. When we make a commitment to a lifestyle different from the Word of God, when we make a commitment <clears throat> to a lifestyle different from the Word of God, excuse our behavior, elevating it or devaluating the Word, making our rebellion a demonstration to all, we become disqualified. This is what will disqualify you from ministry. 
when we make a commitment to a lifestyle different from the Word of God. Whatever that commitment is, we make that commitment to a lifestyle different from the Word of God. We excuse our behavior, elevating our behavior above the Word. I'm sorry, devaluing the Word or elevating our our behavior. Well, the reason I have to do that, the reason the Word of God doesn't speak to my case, the reason that I can get by this is because... Now, how many people do you know that have gotten involved in fornication? Why did you do that? Well, I, I really love her. We're really in love. I mean, God is all over this relationship. And these are the things that you hear. I've heard people in, in, uh, gotten involved in adultery. And I'm not just talking people in church. I'm talking ministers, pastors, missionaries, whatever, they, whatever place they're in ministry feeling that God brought this person into my life so that I would leave my husband, leave my wife, and go after this person over here. God did it. Now how do you how do you, you gotta devalue the word, you gotta excuse your own behavior, but people will do it. They will do it. So we make a commitment to a lifestyle different from the Word of God. We're not sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting. I've committed to myself, this is okay. I've excused our behavior, my behavior, elevating it or the devaluing the word, making my rebellion a demonstration to all. See, this is where the real problem comes in. It's because now everyone knows you are in rebellion to the word of God. You are in rebellion to the word of God. And once I make that rebellion known, I have become disqualified. That's where a problem comes in. There is subtraction or losing something and then there is putting ourselves in a position where others will not receive from us. And when we do this, we put ourselves in that position. I've heard people, I've heard ministers, stories of people decades in, in the past, powerful healing ministries, powerful prophetic ministries, but involved in sin. And they continue to operate in that powerful prophetic ministry, powerful healing ministry, until it becomes public. And why does it stop then? Because people stop receiving. They stop receiving from them. There's going to come a point where God will stop using them in that way. But apparently God had not hit that point. And um, I, I, I remember, I think it's, it's, it's pretty well known in some of the books and stuff, but Catherine Coleman got involved in some things. Powerful minister of God powerful healing ministry still walking in that and um but was involved in a um, in a wrong relationship and eventually walked away from it and it was a very painful thing for her to do it was painful even afterwards but she walked away from it <clears throat> i think she was probably in a spot where she would sin and um repent sin and repent sin and eventually just the, the cycle was too much and, and she just uh, walked away from the whole thing and now I'm not going to do that anymore. And I don't think it became immediately known that she was involved with that. People still received from her. But once people become public and, and that, there was a story I heard uh, uh, recently of a, of a pastor who announced to his church that he was homosexual. He's married with kids, but he announced to his church that he's homosexual that he's leaving his wife 
and he's going to uh, stay with the, the guy that he had fallen in love with. Now, see, that's, that's uh, all wrong at all kinds of levels, I realize. But, <laughs> but now you have just declared my lifestyle different from the Word of God is okay. I'm okay with it, and you need to be okay with it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not so good. It happens. It will continue to happen. There will be people who would do it in the future. But you see, it's one thing for a pastor, for a minister, for someone in the church to fall into a homosexual relationship and then repent and get out of it and then fall into it again and then get out of it. It's, it's, uh, you know, this is not something new. I've, I've had to deal with this before. I've had to deal with uh, even somebody many, many, many years ago with someone in ministry who was um, involved in, had been in the past involved in homosexuality. And I was talking with them and counseling with them quite a bit and they were still wrestling with it. But it was a um, more of, a, it wasn't a sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. They pretty much stayed out of it but kept feeling pulled back into it. And they were repenting because they were, they were feeling badly for the feelings that they had. And so, we, you know, we would talk, we would, we would work on this. Well, a couple of times he fell into it. And uh, we, I, I kind of drew a line in the sand. You cross this line, I have to pull you out. Because this person was not just involved in, he was involved in this pretty heavy ministry. And um, I said, if, and, the, and the line was crossed. And I said, I told you, if you cross the line, I had to pull you out. He says, no, you never said that. I says, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I can tell you when. I can tell you where. I said, and you know we had that conversation. I have to pull you out. That had not yet become known, but I had to pull him out because of him. He needed to take it more seriously than he was. And I didn't want to see him fall into that lifestyle again that he had been very much involved with. These are things that, uh, that we do. So we're, lo- we're looking at this, this uh, first question which is when do we become disqualified for ministry? I hope you understand that when we come to a place and I have committed myself to a lifestyle that is no longer going to be sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, but it's going to be sin, 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 and I'm okay with this. And you ought to be too. That we're starting to cross over that, that spot. That, uh, that we've moved into a, a place where, and especially when you're making it public. You know, there's some things we can do in, in sin. Sometimes people in adultery, they're not making it public. They're trying to ki- keep it under wraps. But there are other times that we've seen people, you know, they'll put up on Facebook the, the sin that they're doing. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. Put up on Facebook. Hey, here am I. I'm sinning. <laughs> what are you doing with that? Yeah, I've thought about this before too. Should I go up there and put a comment on there and kind of pinpoint the sin? So I, I thought about that. I was, I was on one page not too long ago thinking, God, do you have anything for me to say? God didn't give me a thing to say. So I went off of it. I thought I wanted to say something. <clears throat> when God didn't give me a, a thing to say. So I didn't say anything. You know, just because somebody's putting something up there on Facebook doesn't mean I have to like it. If it's a wrong, if it's a wrong lifestyle, if it's the wrong thing to do, I don't have to like button. I just, just let it go. If God gives me something to say, I'm going to say it. But I'm... I'm you know, Facebook is not necessarily the place that I'll look to do that. I'd rather just look to, to speak to the person individually. 
But these are the kind of things that you're going to face. Now, here's a question we haven't answered yet. We want to try and deal with this uh, probably next week. How do we, as believers, deal with them? How is it that we, as believers... <laughs> did I answer this question? Did I answer what, how, how are you to come, become disqualified? Is that not the question I said I was going to answer? Yes, absolutely. You're a man and you work, All right. <laughs> don't lead to another question. You want to, I wanted to let you know, I understand that's a question. How do we deal with them? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with somebody who has decided to enter into a lifestyle of sin, not just sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent? How do we deal with that? So we're going to take that on next Wednesday. We've got to look at the Word of God. I want you to see it in the Word of God. I, don't want you to, I can give you my opinion right now on what you should do, but I want you to see it in the Word of God, just like I want you to see this one in the Word of God. No, no. <laughs> no, we're not going to we're not going to deal with that. In, in there, I will tell you this: how to deal with a person in this is not as clear cut as this is. This is pretty clear cut. If you enter into a lifestyle, all right, you're going to make it public that I am in rebellion to God, and I'm okay with it. That uh, pretty much has, has hit the disqualify button right there. Pastors who've gotten up and said homosexual lifestyle is okay for me. They've done it. I've heard them do it. I, 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 when I was in uh, college, I was dealing with somebody who was involved in, a couple of people who were involved in this homosexuality. And one of them, in one of the times I was chatting with him, talking to him, he says, um, can I tell you what it is that causes me to be attracted to a man? I said, no. I says, no, you may not. I said, I do not find men attractive. And I like powering around with guys. I like knocking people around and having, you know, going out and playing hockey and knocking somebody on the ground. It's fun. I enjoy that. I can enjoy being around guys for that. I do not understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and so uh, we put that to bed right there. That it did not go on any further. I have no contact with that person, but I do know that that particular person eventually got out of that lifestyle, got married, has kids, and is doing just fine now. And they're, they're, they're doing great. Um, it, it can be a tough lifestyle to, to get folks out of, but that does, that does go on. Well, Father, we thank you that you, you love us, that you forgive us, that as long as we keep that attitude that says... I know you said this is sin and I repent. That you'll keep forgiving us. But if we take that attitude that says, even though your word says it's sin, I don't think it is and I'm going to do it. That changes things. And we go from there, we make it public and tell everybody, I'm in rebellion to God and I'm okay with it. You should be too. That we've crossed the line and we've disqualified ourselves from ministry from doing the things that you would have us to do. But Father, I thank you that even if we have crossed that line and stepped into those places, that the way back is clear. Just repent. And you as a Father, with open arms, welcomes us back. I thank you that you do that. I thank you that your love is incredible. 
Help us, Father, to love those who have sinned around us, that we have your heart on this. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Comments, questions? Now, on the other area, we're going to get next week. Don't ask any questions on that. <laughs> no, not just for... <laughs> you can ask questions on that topic next week, and I'll write them down if anyone wants to do that. Make sure we answer Not all sin is on the same level as sin. Sin is sin, but there's greater sins, lesser sins. So, somebody becomes disqualified from ministry when they enter into a lifestyle where they just rebel against the Word of God. How do you break that down, though? Like, because I'm thinking of different sin, the different things that the Word of God would consider as sin. Okay, we have, we've got all these things that are listed there, the sexual sins. You know, sexual sins are, are in my book, higher than the others because, the, you know, he goes down onto there and talks about... They usually involve another person. And, and, but not just that, but that the Holy Spirit's mm-hmm. involved as well. But when the Bible says certain things like... Um, anything that's against the Word of God is considered sin. It's considered rebellion. Mm-hmm. Well, no. I'm not going to say this right. That's my. I'm afraid I'm not going to say it right, and I'm not going to listen. Just because we sin does not mean I'm in rebellion. When somebody constantly says to me, "I know the Word of God says that, but God knows my heart." Yeah, that's that's kind of getting into rebellion area. Okay, so <laughs> when somebody is constantly saying to me, "Well, I know, but you know, God knows my heart. I should be there. I should do this. I should." When does that type of when does that type of thinking become unfit for ministry? Yep. Because they're not they're not dependable. They're not somebody that is going to grow. So how? Yeah. Now understand this: God is not looking to disqualify people from ministry. Right. God wants people in ministry, even people that are in sin. The reason for it is the people he can minister through that person to get helped. And his goal is to help as many people as he can. And he uses imperfect vessels to do it. I guess people don't see, though, too, that their testimony, if mm-hmm. somebody, their testimony is blown out of the water. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm thinking of something that happened in my life. Somebody did something. My mother, who's not, I don't say she's not a believer, but she's not necessarily following the Lord like she should be. She saw this, and it just—that was it. She was done. And yeah. and and you know, this person just—it didn't even seem like it was a big thing to them. But this unbeliever seeing it—that was—that's all she needed to see. You know, so now it's harder for me to minister to her because I have to somehow justify or explain what that person did and why it was wrong. Hmm. I don't know. There's just—I have a lot of questions, and I can't ask them tonight. <laughs> how we deal with them is important it's huge <clears throat> but the whole purpose of dealing with them is to bring them back right. sometimes Christians can get to a spot where I don't, I don't want them back I want them to know you messed up I'm angry with you well, I'm hurt with you and, and so forth and I'm going to 
Yes, it's disobedience, it's not rebellion. You can have a problem, but you have not picked up what the Bible would define as habitual sin, where I have embraced the sin. The sin is now part of my life. As long as I have that sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, it's still outside of my life. I bring it in, then I push it away, then I bring it in, then I push it away, then I bring it in, push it away. I haven't quite, but you know, people who have accepted adultery, accepted fornication, accepted drunkenness, accepted all these things, I brought it in, and yeah, this is to the point that these Christians will put up on public places like Facebook what they're doing in the area of sin. Conscience is seared, heart is hard. Right, right. Now, do you think that it's easy to be, and this might be starting next mm-hmm. week, I don't know, but do you think that it's, it might be easier for these people to stay in that or to even em- begin to embrace it because the church hasn't done what the Apostle Paul said to do with people when they start to enter it? We have to make sure we deal with them the way the Word of God says. <clears throat> if we deal with them incorrectly, then their departure from the church is our fault. If we deal with them the way the Word of God says, then, you know, Paul even said, I pray for them, I turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that in the end they'll be saved. That's hard for a lot of, a lot of people to do. It's hard for us to, to let that go on. But there is a Christian way, a biblical way of dealing with people who have embraced a lifestyle of sin. And, you know, I, I want to spend time with it. I don't want to just, um, we're pretty much out of time with, with this one. Um, so, if somebody who is in a lifestyle of sin, but they're all doing it because they're truly right now, because for some reason they got caught in their adult season, mm-hmm. is that still habitual sin? They truly don't know what they're doing. Are they in rebellion against the Word of God? Yeah. Yes. Uh, simple way to do this. When Jesus um, Jesus is warning about this, he warns about the leaven of the Pharisees. Paul works, warns about false teachers that are leading others astray. Are they less astray because they followed after a false teacher? No, they're still astray. Yeah, and uh, the, the exhortation to Christians: Do not believe every spirit, but believe, but see if they are of God. It is the responsibility of the believer to make sure that what a person is doing is, is leading them in the direction of, of what God says. Um, might be a young, a young Christian, but Jesus got upset with people who were leading young Christians astray. There's a reason why he, if, he wouldn't be upset if they're leading them astray and they're not going to have any repercussions from it. He's upset. Because, look at Jesus' quote. You have made your followers twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. doesn't say they're not going to hell. It says they are fit for hell. It says they're fit, and mm-hmm. the Pharisees are twice as fit. That's what he says. And that's the part that's kind of hard, you know. Sure it is. You know, that's what's and that's the yep. part that's hard. Because, you, and, you know, God doesn't send anyone to hell. You know, you, the choices that you make. Maybe we send ourselves there, yeah. Walking you guys into that. Yep. Still, you know, that's still a difficult 
concept sometimes because we want to blame somebody for them going yep. and the easiest person to blame is God. Yep. the real enemy. Look at it this way. If a person gets born again, what enters into the inside of them? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes on the inside. That Holy Spirit will guide you into what? All truth. So if a false teacher leads you into something else, the spirit on the inside should say, false. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning. Something is going to go off. I don't know why. I don't know what. But I know this isn't right. And you have to listen to that. And those are the things that, you know, that's why the Holy Spirit is put on the inside of us. Yeah. Oh, the uh, person who was who went into the, the sin. Yeah, uh, I, for this particular thing, this is the word that God gave me for for them. I'm not saying you can give this word to everybody, but it was what I was I was given for them. If you do not lead yourself out of this now, get married and then come together the way God says, you will always know that you led this in the wrong direction. They had to, they had to separate. Separate. Yeah, I didn't care if it was for two weeks. I wasn't telling them whether or not to get married or not. I, I, my goal was separate. We will find a place to put the young lady, but separate. And then get married. Whether it was two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks down the road, whatever it was, then get married and then come together the way you're supposed to. But I said, unless you do, you will always know that you led this relationship. I'm talking to the husband. I wasn't talking to her. You have led this relationship in the wrong direction. No, they weren't married at that point. The enemy could always use this against them. If they got married, because, you know, you did this. He could never fix it. Never fix it. Because he was married, now you don't separate. He could never fix it. I said, you can fix it now. You can separate I didn't care if it was for two weeks. Just make that move, separate. But he said, no, we're not going to do it. Because the problem was not, <clears throat> there was no place for her to go. The problem was, we want to do this. Mm-hmm. I know. And there's no doubt Jesus doesn't look at it that way because he woman at the well. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. He's real clear on, <laughs> on that one. That's just... Uh,
to find against. I mean, if the word says don't do it and I do it, yes. it's sin. Yes. If I know it, okay. for him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Uh-huh. But I do it anyway, kind of enforce it on other people. Then it's called religion. So that's still really bad, right? Sure. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees created rules so that were in line they thought were in line with the word of God and forced them on people. That's good. So it's still really bad because I've always had an issue with Catholicism and the way that they, what they teach. Mm-hmm. Is this now getting into the same thing as habitual sin? Is this sure. They're leading people into a habit, a lifestyle of doing what the Word of God says not to do. There's a lot of churches that do that. They lead you into a habit of praying in a way of things for things you're not supposed to be praying for. It's against the Word of God. I think I'm supposed to pray for this, but the Word of God doesn't say I'm supposed to pray for this. I might just do it anyway. We have people that are out there uh, talking to angels because somebody taught them to do it. That's not right. The Bible does not tell us to command angels to do things. It says we talk to the... the, God the Father gives them commands on our behalf. I don't command them. Well, the habitual sins that he listed can keep us out of heaven. I mean, you can get certain ones that are religious, religious ones, and certain religious habitual sins will keep me out of the blessings. They'll keep me out of eating the good of the land. They'll do that, but they won't keep me out of heaven. He's, he's listed certain ones. I can't just say any habitual sin will, will do that. He's listed certain ones. First Corinthians. He's, I think there's another place. There's another list too, but uh, First Corinthians list is one, and the other one's not too far off from that. Those are things. These are sins that will keep you out. I have, if I embrace that lifestyle and just say I'm going to live this way, mm-hmm. um, religious sins, praying to Mary, stuff like that's going to keep me out. I have answers prayer and some really good things in life, but I don't know that that's going to keep me out of heaven. Sin and repentance. Now I sin and I die. What happens? Wait, what? What's the difference? Habitual sin is the one where. No, I'm just saying. She's just saying on the. I'm just yeah. saying on this on this on the deal. Is You're on the spot. Sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. It just so happens I hit the spot where mm-hmm. I'm the sin. Where in the Bible? <clears throat> where in the Bible does it teach that if you die before you repent of all your sins, you will go to hell? That's a religious teaching. Okay. That's not a Bible teaching. Gotcha. So because even though that's where I am, 
because I've accepted Christ as my Savior, mm-hmm. I may live in a shack up there, but I'm going. My house is not going to be as big as others, but I'm going. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> You're not bringing as much over. As long as I'm sitting on the step, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, those. But I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, but that is a religious teaching that goes around. Yes. That I, by the time I die, I must forgive, ask forgiveness for all the sins that I've done. Well, like, I don't ask for all the forgiveness of sins that I've done now, because I, I don't know them all. But I think where where it may come in is the is the thief on the cross. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. What sin did he repent of? I don't know. Yeah. As far as we know, he didn't repent of any. Well, what did he? He just believed that he was the. Yeah. He just believed that he was the Christ. If you confess that Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's really all he did. We don't know that he went through the whole. Let me tell you all my sins. That confession thing is a Catholic Church teaching. Yeah. Why are we going to hell? Not accepting Jesus. We do not go to hell because of our unrighteousness. We go to hell because of the sin nature. So when the Bible teaches us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we're not dealing with the sin, hell, and heaven issue. That's another issue that we're working on. Unrighteousness does not keep you out of heaven. It's okay to teeter because I'll. <laughs> you know, we ain't going to answer. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Uh-huh. What, what was it that they did that made them drop their lambs? Yep, we may, get, we may get into them. We may get into them. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, why did they drop dead? Was not habitual, the one time thing. But it didn't even appear public. I mean, Peter exposed it, but everybody else didn't know. Oh my gosh, it's really here. They just walked in and said, This is what happened. Bam! As far as we can tell, it was a one time thing for Ananias and Sapphira. It was not a habitual sin. (laughs) Simple for this. Where did they get the idea from? They got the idea from Barnabas. Not that they didn't get the idea years before. They got, got, got it last week. You do not have a habitual sin that way. That's where they got the idea. They were mimicking something they just saw last week. And that could even go to that religious thing we were just talking about, yeah. too. And, and, you know, and it doesn't excuse you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, no. No, it won't be. We tried it. I tried it. I tried it. Uh-huh. Somebody who's been disqualified, can they get requalified? Sure. Repent. Change, make a lifestyle change. 
the longer you walk away, the longer you walk in that lifestyle, the more you walk away from the gift that God has for you. And Brother Hagin shared with us a minister who had um, walked the wrong lifestyle and fell out of ministry altogether. And one time, I'm not sure how Brother Hagin heard this story, but one time the, uh, he came upon a Bible he used for, for preaching. And he said, I made all kinds of notes in the margins of things, and I'm reading the notes, and I didn't understand them. He said, a revelation I walked in in those days and preached, I didn't understand what I wrote. That's how far away he walked from it. The revelation that he had walked in before, he couldn't even understand the revelation now. And there it was in his notes, his notes in his Bible. It's his handwriting. He knew he wrote it. But he, absolutely, he could, not, could not grab hold of it anymore because he had walked away from the, the thing so much. And that was a gift. That's a gifting and calling that's on his life to teach the Bible. He was able to have insight and, and God gave him revelation on that. And he, he couldn't get hold of it. Yeah, you can keep walking away from the gift that God has for you and get more and more distance between between you. Was that? Okay. Oh, is it into next week? It is. You can give questions for next week. If you're, I mean, even during the week, if you're coming up with questions about this, feel free to, to send them over. I mean, uh, we don't have to just, if we go two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, I'm, I'm fine with it. As long as we, um, I really wanted to to help you with this because we are dealing with people more and more that are living a lifestyle of sin not just embracing sin and then repenting and embracing sin and repenting uh, and we have to know how to how to deal with them and what to, to do about them you about ready to raise your hand Oh, I mean the whole thing. How should I relate to them? Get the whole thing done as far as bringing them to repentance? Yeah, that was one. Oh, you do your part what God tells you to do? You like God uh, you are not responsible for someone else repenting. You are responsible to say what God says. If they respond to it, great. But it may be you get part of it and they get it from another part from here, another part from here, another part from here. That's all fine. But I want to deal with how do we respond to them to get them back? How do we relate to them on a regular basis? What is, is our responsibility to shun them? Is our responsibility to have fellowship like nothing's going on? What is our responsibility in this? How should we have, what kind of relationship should we have with them? If I have a, if you have a neighbor... They move in, man and a woman, not married. What should your relationship be with them? If they come out and you have some conversations, they're saying, hey, we're in this church down over here, we're in this ministry over here, what kind of relationship should you have with them? If you have people on the other side of you, man and a man, move in. Homosexual relationship. What do you need to do? Do you have to go over there and be a prophet and uh, condemn them? Or is that, your, is that your role? Is that something that you have to do? Is, are, can you just ignore it and, and not say anything about it at all? Uh, what's your responsibility? That's next week. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's next week. Well, that's what we're going to be taking on. We'll see how much of it we get into. But if we don't get it all next week, we'll overflow into a, a second week. But I think we can get it all next week. What's that? 
He did. Yeah. He did that anointing still came upon him. Why did it come upon him? Well, it came upon him throughout his life too. Yeah. What was the purpose of the anointing that came upon Samson? He was a deliverer for Israel. Yeah. So, if God doesn't work through Samson, who suffers? Israel. So God says, I don't want Israel to suffer as much as I can. I'm going to bypass this and I'm going to let that anointing keep working until he got to a spot where he compromised it too much. And God says, no, I can't do anything. Because if you look at his lifestyle, remember when we went through Samson, he had the, the things that he had to, to do. Well, the, the drinking from the vine seemed like he gave in on that one. Seemed like that one. Uh, touching dead things, he gave in on that one too. Uh, he brought them in <laughs> without them even knowing about the whole thing. So, um, but he still had the anointing, even though he did those things. Why is it that the hair was was elevated? There's nothing in the Nazarite vow that says his hair was more ele- that the hair requirement was more elevated than all the others. Why is it that the hair cut him off? I don't know. We can. I can give you that answer real easy. I give you that question real easy. It's, it's simple. It was elevated in his mind. In his mind, that was the greatest of all the re- of all the requirements. In his mind, that was the greatest one. And when he broke it, he broke what he was convinced was the greatest of the things, and that cut it off. Hmm. Are you going to be gone next week? Oh no, we sh- we should get most of it done next week, I think. <coughs> I was, I've been trying to get on there and do this stuff, and I haven't. I got I got to get up there and get a few of them. When we fall into these things? We could. Uh, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about those li- those lines, but if I maybe. <laughs> I don't know if we can spend a whole lot of time on that, but but I don't. We can stay on this topic as long as y'all have questions on it. I want it to be thoroughly answered for you. It is answered in the Word of God, and we just gotta. <laughs> but our main purpose here tonight was just to show you what is it that disqualifies us for ministry. What is it? We have to cross a line somewhere, and we cross that line, and, that, and that's why you know Samson crossed the line. And there was a line that he drew, but there was, he definitely crossed the line. And when he did, his anointing was gone. So it basically gives birth to like things that are in the power of the tongue. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Let's back to that. He said it. That's yep. what he said. So his life and death, mm-hmm. his power was in his tongue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said it, and God went, he just tied my hands. I can do nothing for you. Mm-hmm. Jack? Yeah. But as we look into how we're dealing with most of most of us, we have friends, we have close people to us that have embraced these type of lifestyle. 
And as long as we're in the area of the unknown, do I get close to him? Do I not get close to him? Do I smile and grit my teeth? You know, what do I, what do I have to do? As long as I don't know how to deal with him, then the enemy can, he can flourish. And he's either going to, through guilt, get me to do things I shouldn't do, or through guilt, get me to, to do something, um, not do something that I should do. Or, you know, we're, we're just going to be tossed all around the, the place. Know what God wants you to do. Do it. And then feel free. You just feel free on, on, on that thing. I, I had a homosexual... I had, I've had in my lifetime probably a half dozen guys that were caught up in homosexual relationships that I had the opportunity to, to minister to and, to and to help. And God had me uh, come along and to, to do things with them. As far as I know, having a contact, continual contact with all of them, as far as I know, they all got out of it. But some of them I just lost touch with or just, just had gone another another direction and, but it seemed like they had they had uh, they had moved out of it but um, I never I never came to them every time says you know are you doing that quit it never did that never had to I mean they just came to me and said oh, I fell into this again oh, I don't hear the details <laughs> just uh, <laughs> just stop yeah just stop it Bob Newhart loved that. anybody ever seen that Bob Newhart little thing I love that little thing stop it <laughs> that was great. But that's really what we just got to do. We just got to get them to, to stop it. I don't need to know all the details of things. And, you know, I haven't always been all that smart with it. I had one guy who was involved in um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of their steps was to go through and tell somebody all the things that they had done. And so he said, can I sit down with you? And I need to make this step. Can I sit down with you and, and do that? And so I said, well, I guess I need to help him out and stuff like that. Now, Now I would say no. But I didn't know that then. I sat down with him. He's telling me all these stupid things. Like, Why do I need to hear this? Why do I need to know this about it? And, and uh, fortunately, you know, I, I can have a short memory and that sort of stuff. And I don't remember even what he said to me anymore. It wasn't important, I guess, that I know what is important that he, he said it. But AA, I don't understand that step. That's, uh, there's some things with AA that are just against the things of God. Um, they are helping people. I understand that. But there are just some things that they do that are against the things of God. So no, you're a new creature. Walk like one. Stop walking like what you were. Stop thinking of yourself the way you were. And uh, that's what the folks in the homosexual relationship had to do. You had to stop thinking yourself as this. The devil's giving you a lie. It's not who you are. Yeah. It's like we were watching America's Got Talent. And I do like this show, but there's this one. I want to pass, fast forward him every time he comes up on there because he's got the homosexual lifestyle and he's using it to play on the judges. You know, oh, poor me, I was picked on. He says in his, his thing, I, I knew when I was five or six that I was gay. Garbage. Boys that are five and six don't even like girls. <laughs> they got cooties. <laughs> they stay away from girls. <laughs> What what age is it that the boys finally realize that a, that's a girl? <laughs> I, I don't know what age it is, but eventually they come to that spot. And I heard him say that. I says, that is just such a lie. Who in the world told him this lie or let him in? Five, I don't even remember what I was doing at five or six. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. All right. Did we exhaust this topic? Oh, <laughs> no. Well, this one that we're on here with all the, the, the questions. Are you still texting Pastor 
questions. Feel free. I mean, text to, to send over whatever questions you got. I'll work them in there. And um, I I love it when people. We're on this because I know that we as a church are facing some things in this area. That's why we're on this. I face something like that. I go to God. And says God, what about this? And God tells me stuff. If I don't go to God with a question, He doesn't come to me with an answer. Mm-hmm. If we don't, and, I, and I'm glad that you're going through this, because if we don't understand the next step, how we're supposed to deal with it from Scripture, when you do deal with it that way from Scripture, the people who don't understand, they go off dirty TV on you, and they go out and leave along with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's not easy. Yep. People do stupid stuff. Yep. Got a morbid attitude of Paul. See ya. I mean, because I'm thinking about Paul drove some pretty hard lines. He was pretty tough with it. And he was real, like, don't even sit with them. Don't even talk to them. Don't eat a meal with them. That's a pretty hard line. Mm-hmm. And when you start to draw those hard lines, especially in the day that we're living in, you start to draw hard lines like that. Yeah, and, and well, yeah. I know, I know. Well, you know what? You drew up a whole lot more questions now. But I answered some. The whole goal of getting into the Word of God is to answer some questions and bring up some new ones. That is the purpose of going to the Word of God. Because you're now asking questions that maybe you didn't know existed before. Until you ask the question, you don't get the answer. That's in the Bible. When does Daniel get the answer? When he asks the question. You've got to ask the question to get the answer. As soon as he asks the question, what, what does God do? He sends it. But I've got to ask the question. People who are, people who are studying, getting into the Word of God, they're the people that ask questions. People just sitting back waiting for God to reveal things to them. Doesn't get to, to see anything. Got to uh, got to get in there and ask the ask the questions. Oh, I think that's me. <laughs> Probably, huh? All right. As long as y'all got a good handle on what disqualifies us, what's the difference between a habitual sin and maybe constantly sinning? Maybe that's a way to put it. That uh, as long as you got a handle on that. That's real important because that will help you with your, your, with your dealings with people. And just understand, I don't always know what people are doing. I may see the sin, but I don't always know if they've gone to God. And, uh, you know, sometimes God will just say, that's my kid. Butt out of it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You don't have to. That's why I tell you, I, I've learned my lesson. I do not need to be involved in everybody's life. Don't need to be. God involves me, all right, that's fine. But um, I, I don't need to otherwise. 